Amen. Wasn't that wonderful? Amen. What a beautiful prayer this morning. Lord, I want your presence. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Gospel according to St. Luke chapter 1. Gospel according to St. Luke chapter 1. We, uh, a couple weeks ago, started a series on the empty things of Christmas. We preached one sermon out of that, and then we got sick. And so we're going to continue that and, um, series, and, and Lord willing, maybe we'll finish, try to finish it up next week. Um, usually, the Sunday before New Year's, I try to preach a New Year's message, but we might do it out the Sunday after. We'll figure something out. The Lord will give us direction we, sh- we trust. Two weeks ago, we preached on the empty womb, Elizabeth's empty womb, and um, we learned from that sometimes the delay, the unanswered, the times that we feel like our prayers are unanswered, um, sometimes they're not for the reasons that we are tempted to think. Sometimes it isn't because of of sin or God's disinterest or, or whatever, but Sometimes it's for the glory of God, and that was the case in um, Elizabeth's case. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We're going to see another empty thing. And I told you that first Sunday of the series that um, I was giving away a secret from the outset, and that is God fills all the empty things. And God loves to fill empty things. Begin our reading in uh, verse 26, Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind about what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who has called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Father, we've had the privilege this morning of sitting together, enjoying a meal. We've had the privilege of worshiping together, heard a beautiful, special song. 
And as we prepare our hearts for Christmas, I ask that you would help us as we endeavor to preach thy word. Help us to rightly divide the word of truth. May you be glorified and honored this morning. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Where's the empty thing? Last week, I think it was a little, it was probably obvious. We could tell that Elizabeth's womb was empty. But where's the empty thing this morning? It's a little tricky, but it's Mary herself. Mary was an empty vessel unto the Lord. Now, I have to be honest with you, every time that I preach on Mary, I feel a little hesitant. Because the Catholics have so worshipped her and almost deified her, and they pray to her, and it just, it almost makes me uncomfortable to even preach at all about Mary, and yet, really, she deserves some honor and, and some recognition. And so we find that it's difficult, we, we don't want to go too far, but sometimes when we try to balance out others, we end up going too far the other way. And so uh, this morning, I, I want to share a little bit as I thought about Mary being an empty vessel. One of the things that, that is true of, uh, of God is that he doesn't fill vessels that are already full. When vessels are already flooded with, with other things, God doesn't go in and take all those things out unless that individual asks God to do it. And this world is, it is bent on making sure that you're full. They want to be sure, the world wants you to be full of, of busyness and materialism, greed and bitterness. If we can make sure that you are full, then you won't have need of God to fill that space in your life. It's one of the great difficulties and challenges of, of living in this world because there's a temptation for us to just keep filling. We've all heard that we have a God-shaped void in, in our hearts, and I think that's true. But what is also true is that we have this tendency in, in our humanity to just keep pouring stuff in hoping that somehow we'll fill that void. And when you consider that God is infinite, it means that there can be not anything except for something that is infinite to fill it. And so we have Mary, who's, who's a young girl, maybe 15, 16 years old, probably 16 at the oldest. And she's she just says, Lord, whatever you want, whatever you want to do, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just surrendered to you. I'm an empty vessel, and if you want to fill me, you do it. Her response is so different than Zacharias's, wasn't it? Zacharias said, "I, I need a sign. Prove it to me." And, and again, I don't want to be too hard on him. But Mary, she says, wait a minute, I, I, I don't get this. this. This isn't how science works. 
But she doesn't say, ask for a sign. She just says, tell me how this is going to work out. What are you wanting me to do? Am, is, is this going to happen after Joseph and I get married? I, the Bible says she's trying to think about these things. She's, Mary's a thinker. You find that here. She's, she's trying to think about what, what this salutation is. We find later that she keeps these things in her heart. She ponders them in her heart. Mary's the kind of person who likes to think, which I think is interesting that, that Luke tells us that twice because for so much of human history, women were considered not thinkers. And Luke is trying to say, trying to get the message across, hey, wait a minute, Mary's a thinker. Two different occasions, Luke says, she is thinking, she's pondering, she's turning it over in her mind. And she wants to know, how is this going to work out? What am I supposed to do? And the angel says, God has a plan. The only way to get empty is to surrender the things that we've put in our heart. The things that we've tried to, to put in that God-shaped void, that, that, those things that we use to, to busy our lives and busy our, just our being, they have to be surrendered to God. And as I was reading through this passage, I found three things, especially, that Mary had to surrender in order to be an empty vessel. The first one, and, and I, I, I had never thought of this one before, but Mary had to surrender her privacy. Now, privacy is something that we highly value in our day. We love our privacy. We want to be sure, I mean, when you go on a, you use an app or you use a website, everybody's got a privacy policy. And if Facebook doesn't keep to their policy, they get brought into Congress and they get chewed out. We go home and, and uh, you know, we, we shut the door and it's, you know, there's something about home, isn't it? You do things at home you don't do anywhere else. I mean, if you want to act silly, you can act silly. I've, I mean, I've seen some strange things in, pe in people's homes. The people will act a little strange even inviting people over. I mean, we just, silly, just silly behavior, silly things. And uh, I mean, I know one person, I, I wouldn't want to embarrass them, but, but uh, you know, when, when they get home, one of the first things they do is they kick off their shoes and take off their socks. Their socks go off immediately. They don't want to wear socks. And they're home and they're in their privacy. I mean, I guess they're, they don't want anybody else to see their feet or whatever the case might be. But in the privacy of their home, bare feet. And you know what? That's great, isn't it? In the privacy of our home, it's a sacred place. And a lot of times we have things that are, are secret. Things that happen in our home we don't want everybody to say, everybody to know. You hear parents say, don't say that. Don't tell people. What will they think? Well, they're probably doing something crazy and silly in their home too. <laughs> but we like that, don't we? We value our privacy. 
And you know one of the things that that people who become stars, people who become famous, one of the things that they that they often lament, they say they're thankful for their celebrity status and the money, but one of the things that's hard is giving up their privacy. I mean, they walk out the door of their house to, to get the mail, and there's people taking pictures. And I mean, people are writing up news articles. I mean, it's gotten so bad now that they have reality television where they go into the homes and they, and they look at the l- private life of celebrities. I believe the Duggars did it. I think the Kardashians do it. I don't know. I don't watch those kind of things. I don't, we don't have a television. but we, I wouldn't watch those things even if we did. Who cares about their pretend privacy? Because you know good and well the real stuff isn't on camera. They sanitize it for us. Probably most of it's acting anyways. It's just bad acting. But would you want the cameras rolling in your home? Especially if you didn't have final say over what gets showed and what doesn't? I'm not sure that's worth a million dollars. There's just something about being home and being able to relax. You say, no, wait a minute. You're talking a lot about privacy and the value of it, but how did Mary give up her privacy? Wow. Boy, did she. The first way that she gave up her privacy is that she became pregnant before she got married. And now she's the talk of the town. She's, a, she's from a small village of Nazareth, and nothing good ever comes out of Nazareth. And she's going to get fetching water, and she's, she has, you know, she's going to synagogue, and her belly is growing, and she's not married. And now she's the center of gossip. And people are talking. Have you ever thought about whether Mary could tell anybody else that she had the Son of God in her? her? Now, first of all, they might think she's crazy. If there's a lady that, you know, one of our young ladies would would suddenly turn up pregnant, she says, "It, it was divine interaction. We would say, yeah, right. So they wouldn't believe her, they th- or they'd think she's crazy if she, was, uh, if she acted like she seriously believed it. But here's the other thing. It's risky. It's risky to say that you've got a person inside of you who is going to take the throne of the king. If Herod catches wind that there's a servant girl, there's a young lady who is pregnant in Nazareth, and she is claiming that her son will take the throne that belongs to his father, King David, we already know how the story works out later. We don't know. I don't know if Mary had enough sense to keep her mouth shut or if her parents said, wait, whoa, 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 hold up. Maybe her face glue and they recognized she was telling the truth. I mean, Moses' face radiated after being with God. Maybe, Maybe 
And, and, and also remember, the people recognized that Zacharias had been with an angel that had saw a vision. So maybe her parents believed her. Maybe she, her face radiated from being in the presence of an angel. I don't know, if, I, I don't know how that conversation went. I kind of hope that her face did radiate and her parents believed her. But somewhere along the line, she got the idea, maybe she shouldn't tell everybody. Man, that gets complicated, doesn't it? You know, it's really hard when people talk bad about you and run your name in the ground. But you know what's worse is when you can't defend yourself. When you can't say what the truth is. You can't give your side of the story. And so now everybody's talking about Mary, and she's lost her privacy. Everybody knows her business. At least they think they know, and they don't know, but they think they know. Fast forward a little bit. She's, she's had the baby. It's been a rough birth. I, it, it couldn't have been easy. She's... She's tired. She's worn out. You know, I, I like seeing the pictures of a mom holding her newborn, but, man, she's not made up, is she? I mean, her hair's kind of frizzed out, and, I mean, it's not been, it's not been easy. She's, she's given birth in a barn. They get things cleaned up. They get her cleaned up a little bit. She's sore. She's exhausted. And pretty soon, here comes a group of smelly shepherds. Joseph comes in, Mary, we've got visitors. Ugh. All she wants to do is sleep and recover. I know, four children, right? It's great when people come in a little bit and go very quickly. Bring food, yes. <laughs> I don't know that the shepherds, being poor as they were, had any food to share. They show up. And poor Mary, she's... What does she do? Does she entertain? I mean, I doubt she feels like sitting up. But here they are. They're into her space, such as it is. And now her privacy is messed up again. She can't just relax and go to sleep. These shepherds want to see this baby. And I'm sure she's proud. I'm sure she's, I'm sure she's honored. Just like any mother is proud of her little one and wants to show him off. But it's in a barn and she's not had a chance to get better. It's not on her terms. And it isn't maybe a year or two later, and here comes a caravan of wise men coming to the house to see him. Now, some commentators believe that the caravan was 300 people strong. You, I mean, these are rich guys, and we don't know how many. We know there's three gifts. We say there's three wise men, but, but there's probably many more. And they all have their servants and their people, and they've got guards. And they, I mean, they, th this is a caravan. If it would have been three guys show up, probably would not have gotten Herod's attention. 
There's a group of people. And all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. They didn't send anybody in advance to let them know they were coming. Said, hey, there's about 300 of us. We'd like to see the, the king. Wow. And Mary says, oh, do you know what kind of day I've had today? I mean, Jesus has, uh, I've, oh, I mean, he's got toys all over the floor. And, oh, I mean, it, uh, and they're kings. Uh, oh, man, this is, and, and into the house. And, and she's like, oh, pardon the mess. It's not usually like this. It, it really is. But, you know, you, you, she's got to, and she's there. She's trying to pick up, you know, the toys off the floor. And, and, and now her privacy is interrupted again. And I'm sure she's honored. And I'm sure she's wondering, you know, here's these, these people that have traveled from the east and, and what a great privilege this is and, and all of that. But again, her day is disturbed. You know, sometimes God asks us to give up our privacy. Sometimes God says, you know, I want you to bring them in. Have them over for a meal. I've known some people, and it's actually happened to us, where God has had a, us to have people live with us that were not related. We've twice had that happen. Where God has led us to have people who needed a place to stay to live with us for a few months. Suddenly, things change a little bit in the privacy of your home when you suddenly say, hey, we're going to make you a part of the family. Sometimes God asks us to surrender our privacy. Sometimes because we, people know we're a Christian, then we get extra scrutiny at work. Our business dealings get, you know, people look at a little more careful, see if we really are what we claim to be. And we give up a little bit of privacy, don't we? We don't get to be, you know, just one of the people. Suddenly we're different. And there can be a cost to that. Mary had to surrender her privacy when she said yes, that she was willing to be the mother of Jesus. Not only does she have to give up her privacy, but one that we probably can understand a little easier is that she had to give up her plans. You know what's amazing to me is how much we value our plans. When you think about it, our plans, what are they? They're just thoughts. Aren't, uh, isn't that what a plan is? It's just our thoughts? I mean, there's, we've not invested too much in them. We've not, we've not done anything to... To, you know, we've not paid for them. If we change our plans, you know, we, it doesn't cost us anything. But we get really invested in our plans. We, I mean, we do not want our plan, someone to mess with our plans. We are going to have Christmas on Christmas morning. And the phone rings. And all of our plans get changed. And we think it is a horrible thing. We can just move it to the next day. Everybody can still come. No, there's no big deal. 
Yes, but the plan was our plan. And it, it is amazing. And, and some of us are wired a little more differently. Some people, to have the plans change is catastrophic. And some children that are wired this way will have a full-blown meltdown. And, you, and as parents, we get annoyed with that. But when they become adults, you know what? They still are that way. Maybe their, their meltdowns are a little more, bit more mature, but it's still a meltdown. Just an adult meltdown. I want it the way I planned it. Grr. <laughs> and you know what? God makes us all different, and that's okay. There's some people who are a little more easygoing. You know, whatever happens, happens. We can take it as it comes. Other people, man, my mother's this way. She likes to have everything figured out. When, when she was coming up here for Thanksgiving, she had begun the packing uh, process in July. It's just the way she is. She is wired to plan. She's wired to have things done long before they need to be done. Sometimes she has to undo them and redo them because it because the situation comes up. She just has to have everything just planned out just right. And it's funny because some of you are looking at each other. <laughs> we have some guilty people. <laughs> and what's funny is I'm the opposite. If, you know, if someone's called, uh, you know, so if we were headed out, you know, we've got some plans for tonight ourselves, but someone would come, say, hey, we need you to do such and such tonight. Eh, I wouldn't do, yeah, no problem. My wife would probably get mad at me. Because she's a little more, she's not quite as bad as my mother. But she wants things we had plans. We had plans. Why did you say yes? We had plans. Because plans are plans. They're just thoughts. They're just ideas. But to a planner, I just spoke sacrilege. <laughs> plans. <laughs> I mean, I write, my, I write my plans in pencil. Some people write them in blood. I don't know how Mary was. If she was a planner, wow, did she sacrifice to the Lord when she gave up every one of her plans. She planned to marry Joseph, and when she said yes, that plan went out the window. Now, you and I know the story. We know Joseph still marries her, but she doesn't know that Joseph is going to marry her. He doesn't believe her. All he knows is she's pregnant. It's not his child. And he's a just man. He's a righteous man. He's a good man. Um, he's he's going to put her away privately. But he's still going to put her away. They're not getting married. They're, the, the wedding's off. Now, a girl who's engaged to be married and she's losing her, her partner? She's losing the one they're going to marry? That's a big deal. 
Jeff, I, I think I have one up here. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. I'm having some throat issues this morning. I mean, I told you I'm not big on plans, but when I was getting married, that was kind of a big deal. I mean, if my father-in-law the week before would have said, hey, can we move this off a week? I think I would have looked at him like he had two heads. And I'm really easygoing. When it comes to plans, I mean, I'm really flexible. But man, when the wedding date was set, we wrote that in stone. I mean, it was going to take an awful lot to change that date. Some things are a big deal. And Joseph is doing what any normal man's going to do. And he says the wedding's off. And Mary has surrendered that relationship and that plan to the Lord. And you talk about a big deal. Giving up the person you love to do God's work? Wow. Of course, we know the story. Joseph comes around. An angel shows up in a dream. They're getting married. Oh, by the way, you know, there's so much talk going on. Mom and Dad send Mary off to Elizabeth. You know, we got to go to a cousin's place in order to be able to, you know, have some time away from the talkers. We don't do that very much anymore. But some of you probably remember a time when that was a common thing. Some of you were alive when if a girl got in the family way before she had a family, we, we sent them off to a distant relative, kind of tried to keep the talk down. So that's what they do. So now she's not even home to plan the wedding. She's not even there doing what she wants to do, and she's not with Joseph. And now the relationship is, is taking another challenge, the distance between the two of them. They say absence makes the heart grow fonder, but I've seen a lot of relationships break up over distance. Distance couldn't, the relationship just couldn't withhold the, withstand the distance. So she goes to visit Elizabeth. They get married, or, and that's go to Bethlehem. This wasn't part of the plan, you know. Great with child, gonna have the baby any day, and now we gotta travel to Bethlehem. And I mean, just the plans just keep changing. And now they have the baby there, and, and I don't know why, but they get a house. I don't know if they bought a place. I don't know if they. If, if they stayed with family, I don't know exactly, but the Bible tells us the wise men came to the house. So now they're in a house, and they were, they were going to open a carpentry shop in Nazareth. This wasn't part of the plan. And now King Herod is after Jesus, and so now they have to move to Egypt. Who wants to move to Egypt? I mean, yes, there's a Jewish settlement in Alexandria, but this was not part of the plan. Do they even have friends or family or anybody who cares about them there? And they're going to live there for years. 
Some people think Jesus was maybe as old as six or seven before they left Egypt. That his earliest memories would have been of Egypt. Wow. That's rough. That's rough. How many times does her plans get changed? Over and over and over again. All because she said yes and surrendered. Lord, all my plans, all my dreams, all my ambitions, they belong to you. You see, you can't, God can't fill an already full vessel. She had to say, my plans and all my dreams and all those things, Lord, they belong to you. And I empty them out of my vessel. Mary surrenders her privacy. She surrenders her plans. But she also surrenders her peace. No, I don't mean the peace that God gives. But I'm talking about the peace of, that the world gives. You know, there's a peace that comes with having money in the bank. There is a peace that comes with that. Knowing that, that if things get rough for a little while, if you lose your job, you've got, you've got a few months socked away. You've got some retirement socked away. There, you know, your freezers are full. Your cupboards are full. There's, there's a peace that comes with, with some financial security. I don't think that's unchristian. I think, I think that God tells us that we should store up. But we're not, we're not talking about, so we're not talking about God's peace. We're talking about peace that this world gives. Like when, you know, we're not currently at war. Do you remember what it was like, what you felt like on 9-11? You didn't have peace, did you? Yes, you had the peace that God gives. But suddenly we were under attack. Now I know you guys are... I mean, Central America and, and probably, you know, there's no, not Central America, but Central of the U.S. I mean, I don't know what's around here to blow up, but we were, at, we were on the East Coast. My wife's parents lived very close to the reservoir that gives all the water to New York City. And there was military put into position because that might have been a target. Attack that reservoir and New York City has no water. We were on the East Coast when 9-11 took place. We were in Pennsylvania where one of the planes crashed. And I'm not saying it was more scary for us, but it felt scary because we were right in the middle of it. We're only a few hours from Washington, D.C. We didn't know. And we lost, can I call it worldly peace? And I don't mean worldly as in sinful, but I'm talking about just earthy peace. We had the peace of God still in our hearts. We knew all was well between us and the Lord. But we, there was, a, a, the terror had come upon our nation. And we weren't sure what we were supposed to do. And the angel tells Mary that her soul, 
would be pierced also. Do you ever think about that? You know, we, we, we sing, Mary, did you know? And, and man, Mary just, we just kind of glamorize Mary's position. Mary's a fugitive from the king. I saw a painting this week. I'd never seen it before. It was a painting done during the Renaissance. Not a very famous painting, really. But it was done in concerning the killing of the children by King Herod. And in the, in the, on the one side, and really kind of the background, you couldn't see, you see women that were, that were running with their babies in terror. But the forefront of the painting is a mother terrified, clinging to her child. And the center of that picture, that, the, the focus that grits your attention, is, is the face, the look of terror on this mother's face as she knows there's nothing she can do to save that child. And she's taking every moment as she's hiding from the soldiers, she's taking every moment that she can hold on to that precious little boy that she can get. And Mary is already down the road, but she's holding Jesus, knowing that if the soldiers find her, that they're going to kill this baby. And if they know for sure who she is, they're probably going to kill her too. You're sacrificing peace. They're in... They're in Egypt. Do you think that she felt safe in Egypt? I don't think so. When we first got married, every noise that the house made, she made me go check it out. <laughs> I'm glad she outgrew it. <laughs> I, had to, I had to have a baseball bat beside the, uh, beside the bed just so she'd feel comfortable. What was really great is one night the doorbell rang for just no reason. It just decided to ring in the middle of the night. Man, you never saw her so scared. <laughs> and I mean, the only bad thing was that she was married to me. I mean, that was the worst thing she had going on. <laughs> I know, bad enough. I know, bad enough. <laughs> Can you imagine how Mary slept those nights? Joseph, I heard something. Mary, you heard something the last 42 nights. Yes, yes, I, but I really heard something. I'm going to get Jesus and hide under the bed. Okay, you do that. I'm sure they'll never look there. <laughs> I don't want to make fun of her. It's real terror. And maybe you'd say, Mary, you should have more faith. I mean, God, God's already warned you in a dream, and you, you really should have more faith. God's going to take care of his, his son. You know, you, Mary, there's no reason to be afraid. If you were given the responsibility of taking care of the Son of God, don't you think you would take that seriously and worry about it? I mean, my children don't even have that status, and I worry about them. Sometimes in the middle of the night, especially... When they were babies, just checking to make sure they were still breathing. We all did it. SIDS is a scary thing. I don't know how many times she 
she had worried. She goes, Jeremy, I don't think he, they're breathing. I'm like, yeah, they are. They're breathing. They're, it's all right. But there's something about, man, if you had the responsibility for the Son of God, I think she, said, I think she lost a lot of sleep. You remember how terrified she was when they lost Jesus in Jerusalem? I can imagine the whole trip there. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. God gave us his son to take care of, and we blew it. We blew it. Oh, boy. Oh, we've lost him. He's, uh, uh, oh, the, somebody got him for sure. The Romans have got him. Oh, oh. And, and when she gets there, she is just pouring out her terror. What are you doing to us? Don't you know, th- didn't you think we would be looking for you? Jesus says, didn't you know I'd have to do my father's business? Real terror. I wonder how many times on the day of Jesus' crucifixion, she heard Gabriel's words in her heart. Your soul will be pierced also. Do you think it's interesting that in all of the New Testament, as soon as the resurrection of Jesus occurs, that Mary disappears completely from the story? Do you know why? Rome was probably hunting her. Historians tell us that the church had to hide Mary for the rest of her life because they wanted to be able to get her. And if they could get her, then maybe they could put, do away with this nonsense about him being the Son of God. And so Mary would spend the end of her life, most likely, most likely in hiding, moving from place to place, home to home. And what was that, did I preach earlier about privacy? She doesn't have a home. She's moving, she's moving in with this family for a few weeks, maybe a month, and then things are getting a little hot here, so we're going to move her. We don't want people to know where, where Mary is because if they, if they can find her, they'll try to tear down her minute uh, that Jesus was really the Son of God. Mary had to surrender a lot in order to become the mother of Christ. And we're going to have to surrender if we're going to do what God wants us to do. There are going to be things that we're not going to want to give. There are going to be times that God's going to put his finger on things and we're not going to want to give it up. But man, when I think of a 15-year-old girl probably not very much education, who's engaged to be married to a man she loves and all the things she's willing to surrender. Man, that kind of puts the pressure on, doesn't it? How can she give up so much? How could she be willing to surrender so easily at her age? How could she do it? Someone once asked William Booth, they said, what is the secret to your success? 
William Booth paused for a little bit. And he said, you know, he said, there are men that had more brains than I do. There are men who had better opportunities than I had. But he said, from the time that the Lord laid the poor of London on my heart, I determined that God was going to have all of William Booth. He said, I surrendered everything to God. And the man who had asked the question would go on and he would tell others. He said, I learned from William Booth that the greatness of a man is measured by how much he's willing to surrender. Mary was willing to surrender a lot. And really, if we'd study her life, these three are just probably the tip of the iceberg. But if we are going to be a people that God can use, it's going to be measured. Our success will be measured by how much we are willing to surrender to God. And Mary shows us the way. And I want to be a person that can say, Lord, I'm a servant of you. Do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Let's stand together. Amen. Trey, would you dismiss us in prayer?